Amen. Well, we are in the midst of walking through the book of Psalms. We've preached on Psalms chapter 1 and Psalms chapter 2. Therefore, let's move to the book of 2 Samuel. I'm kidding. Um, We're going to be in Psalms chapter 3 this morning. And uh, we will be over in 2 Samuel for a brief moment, but uh, we're going to be in Psalms chapter 3, and so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and take and turn there, Psalm chapter 3. Uh, I want to take a moment, if, if I may, um, and since, since I practically have you uh, hostage anyway, um, I'll go ahead and take this moment. But I want to take a moment and just get on a spiritual soapbox, if I may, and I hope that's okay. But when we come to this place, we don't come to be entertained. We do not come for the fellowship. Our sole purpose in coming on Sunday morning is to open God's Word and to see what He would have for us. And I would challenge you that if your process for Sunday mornings centers around anything other than coming and hearing the Word of God, then I would challenge you to check your heart and see where you're at. There's three things that we approach when we come to gathering together over God's Word. There's three key principles that we can take in our own life, and this is your own little mini-sermon. You're getting this one for free this morning. And since it is a mini-sermon, it is alliterated. There are three things that you can take with you this week to prepare you for us coming together next week. Okay, The first one is preparation. Preparation. Whenever you come to the Word of God, you ought to be prepared. If you did not enter this worship serving asking God to show you something out of His Word, then you did not enter this worship service correctly. If you approach the Word of God as you approach an employment manual, As in, I'm not going to read it, there's not a whole lot that I will learn from it, I'll just make this up as I go. We've all been there, right? If you're going to approach it that way, you're going to get exactly that out of it. You're not going to get that much, you're not going to see God move. Prepare to come to this place to hear the Word of God. How does that preparation happen? It happens through your own personal Bible study. It happens through, listen, right now we're walking through the book of Psalms, and so it's a pretty good guarantee that next week we're going to be in Psalm chapter 4. All right? You might skim over that before we come to this place again. Prepare your heart. Be ready to receive. Ask God to remove anything that is not of Him and to allow His Spirit to speak into you. Come to this place prepared. Second, presence. When you're here, Be here. Guys, listen. If you think it's hard in the pew, if you think it's hard in the pew to stay focused on what should be said and what should be heard, then you ought to sit in this pulpit and try to preach the Word of God unhindered, unbridled, and unashamed. Listen. Be here in the moment. Be focused. And lastly is participation. Not just in the message, not just in you and I. Hey, 
it's okay to say amen every now and then, okay? Especially when the preacher talks about the sermon being short. There you go. All right. It's okay to be participating here, but that's not the kind of participation I'm talking about. You see, to be hearers of the word and not doers is anti-Bible. We must, we must be diligent about taking what God has taught us in his word and putting it into application in our lives. Participation. Prepare yourself. Be present when you're here and participate in the work of God. Participate in what he's doing. Participate in what is happening. Guys, listen. This church is not just here for Sunday mornings. This church is here so that it might be a beacon for the gospel, so that it might be a place where the saints come and worship, but not only worship, but are equipped to go and do the work of the ministry. I don't know if you know this or not, but biblically, it's not my job to come in and just do it all. It is our job as a church to be at work. My job is to equip the saints for well-doing, to equip them for the work of the gospel. And so participate. You ought to be active in the things going on in this church. You ought to be active in what is happening with our Sunday school program. You ought to be active in what's happening with our children. You ought to be active in what's happening with our students. Dramatic pause. You ought to be active in what is happening in the church here at FBC. All right, now that my mini-sermon is over, let's dive in, all right? Psalm chapter 3, if you would stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Psalm chapter 3, written by King David. Beginning in verse 1, Lord, how my foes increase. There are many who attack me. Many say about me, there is no help for him and God. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory and the one who lifts my head. I cry aloud to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep, and I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of thousands of people who have taken their stand against me on every side. Verse 7. Rise up, Lord. Save me, God. You strike all my enemies on the cheek, and you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and may your blessing be on your people. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word, how it speaks so eloquently to us. God, we thank you for your presence, how it feels, how tangible it is to know that you are with us now. God, we thank you for your call to action. God, may we take those things today, your word, your presence, and your call to us. And may we leave changed by it. May you be glorified. Hide this one behind the cross. 
May your word go forth. And as you've promised, it won't come back void. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Have you ever been in a, just a bad situation? Have you ever just been at a place in life where literally everything that can go wrong will go wrong? Am I the only one this morning? I believe that we all either have experienced times in life once or multiple times or we all this morning are in a place in life where things just are not going right. It's hard. It seems that many would rise up against us in that moment. It seems that not only those who could care less about us, the collectors, our boss, our legislature, our local government, those that we run into with the shopping cart at Walmart who lose their mind because we ran into them. I had that happen. They're in this room. I won't name their name. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. They go to Trinity Baptist Church. That's a joke. That's a joke. It's okay. Listen, we have all been in that place where everybody that could care less about us can come against us. But it cuts deeper when it's those that are close. It's hard whenever not only all of those are coming against us, but many are they that rise within our own house against us. It's hard in life whenever our marriage is struggling and it seems that more like the person that we vowed to love until death do us part is the person that we think of most when we think of death. It's hard when our children are disobedient and rebellious because they're sinners. It's not because you're a bad parent, although sometimes you could do a little better. It's because they're rebellious sinners. They're sinful. Totally depraved. i got some moms of teenagers shaking their heads with me right now. Sometimes it's those within our own household that rise up against us. And as David pins Psalm chapter 3, that is exactly what he finds himself in. Lord, how my foes increase. They are many who attack me. And many say to me, there is no help from him in God. Notice the intense language of David here. My foes increase. Many are they who attack me. And even many that say about me, there is no help for him in God. Many say about me, cursed is he. We know that David is struggling here. Why? Take your Bible real quick, real quick with me and turn to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 15. I'll talk right today at some point. 2 Samuel chapter 15. David pins the words of Psalm chapter 3 
out of the story we find in 2 Samuel 15 through 19. 2 Samuel 15, I just want to read a few verses out of this story to kind of give you a frame of where David's mind is at so that we can approach this text correctly, understanding what it means. 2 Samuel 15, let's look at verse 30 first. David was climbing the slope of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he ascended. His head was covered and he was walking barefoot. All of the people with him covered their heads and went up, weeping as they ascended. Then someone reported to David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. David pleaded, Lord, please turn the counsel of him into foolishness. What has happened here is we see from the first part of 2 Samuel 15 is that Absalom who is David's son, has conspired a revolt against the great king. Absalom, who is next in line to be king, has sought that everyone should develop a coup mentality to overthrow King David, and Absalom would reign in his presence. Absalom, he goes outside the city gates, and all who come in to pay their taxes... Absalom looks them dead in the eye and shakes their hand and says, I don't believe the king would have time for you today, but if I were king, I would make sure that you increase. And so Absalom has planted this huge seed and it begins to develop and we come to verse 30 and David is climbing the Mount of Olives and it said, weeping as he is walking. And his head was covered and he was walking barefoot. This wasn't the barefoot to speak of in the presence of God. We should remove our sandals as we see from Moses. But this is the barefoot to signify, I am as low as dirt today. David's in a hard spot. Second Samuel 16, look at verse 5. When King David got to Baharim, a man belonging to the family of the house of Saul was just coming out. Mind you the story of David and Saul real quick. His name was Shammai, son of Gera, and he was yelling curses at David as he approached. He even threw stones at David and at all the royal servants and all of David's warriors. David says, many are my foes who rise against me. They even curse me and tell me there is no help in God. 2 Samuel 17, verse 15. Hushai then told the priests Zadok and Abiathar, this is what Ahithophel advised Absalom and the elders of Israel, and this is what I advised. Now send someone quickly and tell David, do not spend the night at the wilderness ford, but be sure to cross over the Jordan, or the king and all the people with him will be devoured. At this point, Absalom has put his notion to foot, and he and his many men that he has recruited are after David and David's many mighty men. 
And they're chasing them through the wilderness. Why? So that David, the king who sits on the throne now, would be put to death so Absalom could come in his rightful place as king. 2 Samuel 18, verse 5. This is an interesting turn in the story. Mind you that Absalom is David's son. And this is the heart of David. 2 Samuel 18, verse 5, The king commanded Joab, Abishai, and Idai, Treat the young man Absalom gently for my sake. And all the people heard the king's orders to all the commanders concerning Absalom. In the midst of all of this, his own son turning against him, creating this large revolt, David says, treat him gently. It means to take him without harm, means to apprehend him without death. Well, if you know the story, you know what happens up in verse 9. Absalom is riding on his horse when he happened to meet David's soldiers. And as they gave way to Absalom, his horse ran underneath the tree. And Absalom was caught in a limb, and Absalom hung there. And died. Word gets back to David and we find 2 Samuel 18.33. The king David was deeply moved. And he went up to the chamber above the city gate and he wept. And as he walked he cried. My son Absalom. My son, my son Absalom. If only I had died instead of you, my son. And to make matters worse, we find 2 Samuel chapter 19, verse 5. Joab, who was one of David's commanders, went into the house to the king and said, Today you have shamed your soldiers. Those who saved your life as well as your sons, your wives, and your concubines. By loving your enemies and hating those who love you. Mind you, the mind of Christ in what David did. Today you have made it clear that the commanders and soldiers mean nothing to you. In fact, today I know that if Absalom were here and all of us were dead, it would be fine with you. So the king got up and sat in the city gate. And all the people were told, look, the king is sitting again in his rightful place. David, when he comes to pen the words of Psalms chapter 3, his heart is wrecked. Not only was he betrayed by the very son that he trusted, Not only was he betrayed by the very men that he had fought for and gave his life for and appointed underneath him. But that very son died. And rather than mourning, his people call him to rejoice. It makes perfect sense that David would pin the words... How my foes increase, and many are they who rise against me. And many that say there is no help for him in God. Have you been there? 
I've been there. I've been there a few times in my life. My wife has been there. If you know our story, you know that both of us have walked through bouts of depression from time to time. And often stemming from our own plight in life, many are they that rise against me. There have been times in my life where it absolutely seemed that the people of God, those who I trust with my heart the most, it seems like they are the ones who constantly attack. And you may be here this morning, and maybe you've been through that. Maybe you've seen church hurt at its worst. Maybe you've seen those who rise up against you who also stand in the house of God and praise his name. Maybe it's been that those who have attacked you have been the very ones that you have entrusted with ministry. David understands where you're at. He understands where you've been. Have you ever been in the lowest place with the no-win situation standing before you? What is David to do here? His own son has planned a revolt against him. And the very one that he must battle is his own son. It's a no-win situation. Especially as proved in 2 Samuel 19 when his own commander comes and says, You have shamed us. For mourning over your son. We struggle sometimes in the no-win situations. We struggle with circumstances in our lives, do we not? Work. There's hard times at work. There's, there's difficult deadlines. There's impossible people that we have to deal with. Struggle in our family, whether that be through betrayal, whether that be through emotional hurt, whether that be through um, struggling relationships, whether that be through disobedience and disorder in the home, we struggle. Struggle with our finances. I can't be the only one in here that's made it paycheck to paycheck before, right? And sometimes we didn't even make that. Sometimes. It's just not there. And no matter how much we do, it's just not there. No matter we, how much we try to follow Dave Ramsey's principles, sometimes it's just not there. And it seems that everything rises against us. It happens in our marriage Sometimes the greatest struggle we have is with the closest person that we have a relationship with. Sometimes the struggle is with our own dreams and goals. Have you ever had a dream unmet? I wanted to play in the NBA. No, I'm kidding. I'm talking serious dreams here, guys. Dreams unmet. Have you ever had them? Goals that there's no way they could come through. Have you had them? And in the midst of it all, we're called to this thing called discipleship. 
I've been talking about a whole bunch of worldly stuff. I ain't even approached the spiritual side of this. Sometimes we struggle even our own spiritual walk. We struggle with people. We struggle with our own relationship to the word and to prayer. We struggle with participating in the things of God and the, in the events that are happening around us that God is doing. We struggle. Life is a struggle. But God. This is the greatest transition of any of the Psalms. Psalm chapter 3, verse 3. David, in the worst spot in his life, he says, but God. But you, Lord, you're a shield around me. My glory in the one who lifts my head. And I cry aloud to the Lord. And he answers me. Not just he hears me. But he answers me. I lay down and sleep. And because God is so good, I wake up again. I will not be afraid of all those that rise against me. And all those who have taken their stand on every side. The Bible's very clear in this moment. You and I have so much struggle and so much problem. There are times in life where we have hit rock bottom and even then we grab a jackhammer and start going through. There are times when we are in the place of utter despair, not even because of our own doing, but because of those who have rose up against us. You may be here this morning, and you may be in that place. I want to tell you one thing this morning. But you, Lord, are a shield for me. Glory in the lifter of my head. You answer me. God is not absent in the midst of your Absalom. God is not missing while those who are coming to rise against you, God is not somewhere else. He is very much alive and well in the situation. He is sovereign. He controls all of it. And like we sang a minute ago, He is faithful. He's a good, good Father. So what should we do about it? What should we do about it when life gives you lemons? What should you do about it? Ah, you could make lemonade. You could do that. Or you could follow these three principles that we find. When life comes against you, when the hardest times seem like they are present and very active in your life, this is what we need to do. The first thing is we need to remember who God is. Remember who God is. Verse 3, but you, O Lord, are a shield around me, my glory and the lifter of my head. Don't you ever forget the promise of God 
that he is a protector for his children. Don't you ever forget the promise of God that he is causing all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Don't you ever forget that the same God that holds the heavens in his hand has extended his hand downward to cover that which is his. Remember who God is in the midst of it. Second, cry out to him. Verse 4, I cry aloud to the Lord and he answers me out of his holy mountain. Cry out to God. We have such a nasty habit of every time that things go wrong, we do a few things. One, we try to blame everybody that's involved, do we not? Well, if they wouldn't act that way, I wouldn't have this problem. If they wouldn't be that way, I wouldn't be in this situation. If they would have done this, then this wouldn't have happened. We like to blame. We also like to seek the advice of ridiculous things like newspaper, Dear Abbeys, and horoscopes. But we also like to seek advice from those around us. And it never is wise counsel. We always try to seek marriage advice from the guy that's been divorced three times. We always try to seek financial help from the guy that's $50,000 in debt. We always try to seek parenting advice from the guy who has no idea what his kids' names are. We always try to go to the places that can't help us. David understood that in the midst of all of that, he, he knew he couldn't go to anyone around him. He had garnered some help from those who were faithful to him. But he didn't go to them for advice. It said, I cry aloud to the Lord, and he hears me, and he answers me. Cry out to him, third and last. Continue in your calling. Something that we forget to do when life hits hard is we forget to continue doing the things that God has called us to do. Verse 5, I lay down and I sleep and I wake again because the Lord sustains me. And I won't be afraid of all those who have taken their stand against me. David is saying, listen, not only did I remember who God was and not only did I cry out to him, but he gave me a calling. And I'm going to lay down and I'm going to go to sleep at night. And I'm going to trust him that he's going to wake me up again because he's good and because he's faithful and because it's his will. And I'm going to continue to do, no matter how many come against me, I'm going to continue to do that which he's called me to do. Christian, how many times have you shut down and removed yourself from all that God has called you to in the midst of depression or in the midst of dark days or in the midst of struggle in life? It seems to me, it's, it's so weird. It seems to me in the Christian life, from what I see, from the pulpit looking outward, from what I see, this is what happens. When life gets busy, the first things to go are the things of the church. 
when finances get hard, the first check that is not written is the tithe. Whenever we begin to struggle in our relationships, the first place that we try to avoid is the place where we find conviction and correction. And the place that ultimately loves us through it all. It's weird. From a pastor who has looked through the word of God and finds nowhere in the word of God that it tells you to draw away from the church of God whenever you are experiencing the troubles of life. But rather it teaches us things like if any of you are sick, come to the elders and let them pray over you that you may be healed. Or if one is in sin, then spend time around those who are not so that their faith, their prayer may draw you back to redemption. I see nowhere in Scripture where it says, listen, when your life gets busy, go ahead and take time away from the Word of God. Take time away from the people of God so that you can go do what you need to do. I find that nowhere. I find the exact opposite. It seems that when life gets busy, we should be busier in the church. It seems that when finances get hard, we should put more trust in who God is and what he's going to do for us and not commit the ultimate sin of drawing away from what is his. But we should use what he has done in our life to make sure that he is providing for us. I want to tell you this. There are times in life where, hey, struggle's real. And those are the times where we need to lean more into the word of God, into the people of God, into the presence of God. That's the admonition today. we got to understand the process of victory. You know, Psalms chapter 3 was written out of what David was experiencing in 2 Samuel 15 through 19. And what we miss out of the end of all of that is that David returned to his throne. He went through all of it. Son betrayed him. Son sought after him to kill him. His son dies. Then he is told by his soldier that he couldn't mourn. He went through all of it. And he ended up back on the throne. You see, there's a struggle there. But there's also salvation. The last part of our text tells us this. Salvation is the Lord's. God is about the redeeming process. He's going to take your struggle and he's going to use it for his redemptive purpose. Not only the struggle, but salvation, but he also supplies in the midst of it. I love David's audacity in the final verses. Not just, rise up, Lord. Not not just like a gentle plea for God, rise up, Lord. No, I don't know if your Bible has it or not, but there's an exclamation point there. David, in the midst of his crying out, has the audacity. Born out of his knowledge of God, he says, Rise up, God! And save me. 
I wonder how many of us have ever tried that in the midst of our struggle. And you know what God's going to do? At the end of that chapter, it says this. It says that we're blessed in that. We see the struggle. We come to salvation. God supplies our every need. And then he sanctifies us. He sets us apart, puts us in a special spot to never let go of us again. That's the story of redemption in our life. Is that we had a struggle of sin. Salvation came through Christ. Our shield, our glory, the lifter of our head. He supplied our every need. He gave his blood so that we may be cleansed of our sin. He supplied the empty tomb so that we may have a hope of eternity. And then he began to sanctify us, set us apart for his will. I love Psalm chapter 3 because it tells us there's victory in the end of all of it. Let's pray together.